Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, welcome everyone. It's so good to have you back for another episode of Leaders Alliance podcast. And today we have special guests, good good friends of mine, Duncan and Kate Smith are going to be coming on in just a few minutes. But before we do, I just want to say a little bit about who we are and what we're up to. We are a branch of Catch the Fire World. We're a ministry called Leaders Alliance, and we are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are excited to see God move in our generation and impact the world with his presence and power at this time. We believe that it's time for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we believe that it's imperative that we actually prepare for that, that we really get together. And so we actually have this uh, website called uh, leadersalliance.org, which are welcome to come and check out. And uh, we have a membership that people are involved. In fact, we just finished our members meeting with about 50 uh, amazing leaders from all over the world who are growing together in our leadership development, our ability to impact the world around us with the love of Jesus and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we are a global community seeking to really raise up quality leaders who can impact the different spheres of society in a measurable way. And so today we have a special guest, um, Duncan and Kate Smith. Could you guys come on and join me right now? Duncan and Kate are not only great friends of mine, I mean, I feel like they they are just dear to my heart, but they're also amazing uh, leaders that I've had the privilege of walking with and really serving under them as leaders in Catch the Fire. And so I want you guys to just uh, begin by sharing a little bit about what's going on in your world, what's yeah. happening right now in terms of your church, in terms of the global movement, and then we'll move into some specific things that we want to cover today around the issue of the coming harvest. Great. Come on. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And um, thank you, everyone. And hello to you all. It's um, always a pleasure to be here on the podcast with you and to join you in this amazing vision. So Yeah, it's totally amazing. And, you know, Michael, right back at you. We're just so blessed uh, to be your friend and uh, and to walk this road, this journey with you. It's just been an absolute privilege. And you have added so much to catch the fire world michael you and diane have just blessed us mm. as a global family that are on mission together a global movement in such an amazing way and of course we're extremely blessed and proud of all of our leaders mm -hmm. alliance members and uh just so excited with what the holy spirit's doing with all y'all so yeah. we we lead a church that we planted we left toronto 14 years ago 14 and a half years ago, and uh, planted a church that started in our own living room. And now, 14 years later, we've been through all the amazing ups and downs Different and round and abouts yeah, yeah. and the good, the bad, the ugly. And we've just come through a season of tremendous transition. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, starting with COVID, uh, we went from being, you know, a church of 650 to 700 in attendance on a Sunday morning. Uh, to coming back after three months when, you know, the governor of North Carolina um, allowed us to meet again after he lost the battle with the churches in the Supreme Court for North Carolina. And we won the right to, to meet again. And our okay. church started and we were back. We started with 100 people, oh. um, which is just a dramatic, mm. dramatic shift. Mm. Um, but by the grace of God, we've seen the Lord just building back up and uh, with a lot of help from the likes of you, Michael, and uh, and others, we've been able to see the Lord really bless us. And we've mm. just not only been through that transition, we've also been through a transition of leadership, haven't we, Kate? So, yeah. you know, you could share about that. And it just feels like it's been another season of change and yeah. um, switching gears again, which you know, um, has its challenges, can be emotionally draining at time. I'm sure many of you can, you know, can relate, relate to, that. to that scenario. And also, 
very much a congregation in flux, like mm. many of our long-term serving leaders have moved on for all sorts of di um, different reasons. And it, it feels like you're rebuilding, literally starting again. Who are we? Who are we called to be? And how are we going to do it this time? And, you know, so we've spent hours, you know, deliberating all those things. But one of the things is that because of the transition, we've also had a transition of our lead pastors, Marion Ash Smith, who are um, have been with us for 13 years in Raleigh, were asked to go and move to Toronto to actually lead the Toronto church from January um, 2023. And so um, we have been able to um, put in place new lead pastors in Raleigh, Durham, a younger millennial couple, actually our daughter and son-in-law who have been youth pastors for 10 years. And it seems like- Youth pastors with us. Youth pastors yeah. in Raleigh, Durham yeah. with us. And it's just been an amazing joy to not only see that they're kind of ready for this, but actually the Lord wants to bring something fresh through them as a younger generation. So, yeah, they've been leading for about uh, about 11 months now. And, um, you know, officially the transition and the laying on of hands was only two months ago, but the actual or three, the actual leadership's been about 11 months mm. ago. And what an amazing shift that's been for us. It's just been tremendous to watch the next generation step yeah. up. There's a huge, fresh excitement in the church. Mm. Um, the church is growing again. The finances are growing again. Uh, attendance, not just on Sunday mornings, is growing, but attendance right the way across the board in terms of the small groups, the mm. um the uh the outreaches er, er, you know ministries are just exploding again and it's very very exciting yeah. so we're in an exciting season of growth michael and, oh, uh, so good. yeah and just to speak into the global movement we are we've been traveling all over the nations uh, again this year we get to the end of the year and we're ready for a, a rest you know because it's been <laughs> um we've yes. been working uh and having so much fun doing that and really, our focus has been to do as many in-person gatherings with our Catch the Fire leaders around the world and other events as well. But really, to get back into that dynamic of where the Holy Spirit wants to come and yeah. fall amongst come us. And, you know, Zooms and online meetings are great but actually to encounter God together in his presence mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, and have that connection and, and just to even impart a fresh vision for that again has just been an, an amazing joy in our movement as a global family. That's so good. You know, one thing that has always won my heart about Catch the Fire, even back 28 years from today into yeah. the initial outpouring was just the, the degree of, sort of gentle impact that the movement has had all around the world. You know, if you yeah. think about it, like uh, even some of the major movements in the charismatic world today were really birthed out of an experience at Toronto with those leaders. I know that, yeah. you know, Bill Johnson would say so, and and uh, Che On would say so, and Heidi Baker would say so, that, that, that Catch the Fire has had this seminal role in terms of inspiring new movements, new churches, new dynamics around the body of Christ. And one of the things that I am also very proud of to be part of this movement is the value for succession. Yep. And the fact that you guys now have become the world leaders for this movement, the presidents of Catch the Fire World, because John and Carol were mature enough and gracious enough to be able to turn over leadership to you guys. And now to see you doing that as well with Aaron and Jess is just a phenomenal confirmation of an anointing on our ministry to yeah. be able to actually do succession well. Can you yeah. just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think, Michael, it, there is an anointing, but also it really boils down to an environment of the Father's love, the context yes. of the Father's love that John and Carol have just so pressed into and have really, uh, how can I say, just, just, just really taught us all and exposed us all to a constant culture of living in the Father's love mm. and being 
anchored in that liquid golden honey of the Father's love and approval so that we're not searching for significance out yes. of what we do or what our positions are or what are our, our anointings like or our, our gifting or how many likes and followers and members of churches and all these different things. Uh, our significance comes from knowing that we're our Heavenly Father's favorite sons and daughters, yes. each of us. And what that what that does over the years is together with a healing life's hurts kind of, you know, the father loves you as you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you as you are. And if you're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to take you on that journey and having seasons of, you know, sitting with counselors and, you know, getting your trauma, getting free from your trauma and getting free from your all the wrong reactions, your unforgiveness, bitter root judgments, ungodly beliefs, all those different things in healing life's hurts. What that does is creates an amazing family context mm, where cool. there's no competition and striving mm -hmm. and our significance is not in our positions. And so we end up with a, a, a scenario where John and Carol, the founders, they're not walking with a search for significance out of who they are. And yeah. so they're not like so often happens where the founders just can't let go. Yes. You know, because they gain so much significance from the platform, from the accolade of the crowds and so on and so forth. John and Carol have been securing the father's love to even be willing uh, long before they pass away to say, you know what, we're going to we're going to um, uh, uh, what's the word? Pull the trigger on our succession plans. We're going to we're going to put in place our succession. Yeah. Secondly. Kate and I, as the ones that they chose, we're, we're walking in the Father's love in a place of confidence in him and his love and his calling up for us through John and Carol, mm -hmm. that we're not trying to jockey and push people away, that we're not, we're not threatened, we're not looking around and thinking, oh, who's, gonna, who's, who's chomping at the bit to take our place? And then finally, all of our siblings, so to speak, all of those around us that could have been chosen might have mm -hmm. felt that they would have been John and Carol's choice to lead the movement. They themselves were not searching for significance as, as colleagues. And they're right. cheering Kate and I on rather than, and, and not just cheering us on, but willing to be led by us rather yeah. than saying each to their own houses, oh, Israel. That's yeah. so good. Yeah, healthy leaders make for a healthy movement, you know. Yeah, what are exactly. your thoughts, Kate, on this? And just a little bit to add to that was is the fact that not only have John and Carol ha uh, given us the ministry to lead, they haven't wiped their hands and walked out on us. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're actually with them, alongside Lovely, yeah. them. As you know, they are um, part of our apostolic ambassadors team, but very much still involved and advising Duncan yeah. and I and cheering us on. Yeah. And it gives us great confidence to see that the, the generations of, of this revival are actually running together hand in hand. So amazing. And we're all needed. Yeah. And we're all needed in different ways. And, and the wisdom and the experience that John and Carol carry, we're drawing on. Yeah. And actually, as we go on, we're beginning to think and behave and do things in their ways more and more. Yeah. And we've noticed that. Yeah, that's so good. You know, now it was what two months ago that we had this amazing gathering in Bali, and yep. uh, you know the Catch a Fire World Gathering came together, and uh, literally we I think you guys chose to do it in Asia because we had just in a sense received a number of Asian churches, and we yep. wanted to really in a sense connect and honor the Asian world as we were doing our uh, every two year gathering, which obviously got a little bit. Uh, disrupted by COVID. But anyway, here we are in Bali and you brought a message, Duncan, that really I felt like was pivotal for the whole movement. And mm -hmm. I'd love you to kind of capsulate that in terms of the harvest. What are your guys seeing? What are you, what are you envisioning as we go forth? Because I believe that right now it is a season where we're pivoting to be able no. to say, wait a minute, we've come out of some difficult, challenging times, but now we cannot sort of just sit in our stew in our, our uh, you know, our difficulties, but we want to move forward into what God is doing. Talk about that a bit and share with the audience some of what you were sensing from the Lord. Yeah, well, we, as you know, 
you know, Bob Jones, we take very, very seriously the pro prophecies um, concerning the harvest, concerning this season that we were entering into starting in 2020 um, with regards to, as Bob Jones called it, the billion soul harvest. Yes. And so we've been very cognizant about this billion soul harvest, haven't we, Kate? Yeah. And, and taking it very seriously as, you know, the leaders of the movement. And this year, this back in somewhere in July, I like to read the Bible through uh, each year. And I would encourage each of you as leaders to do yeah. that. Um, and, you know, and and I came across this verse in Ezekiel 29, 19, which every year I've never felt ever speak to me. It's like, yes, I get it historically, contextually, so on and so forth, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, but I'd never heard the Lord bring a rhema word to my heart through it. But this year it just captured me and I felt like I know some, the Lord's saying something to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall carry off its wealth and despoil it and plunder it. And it shall be the wages for his army. I have given him the land of Egypt as his payment for which he labored because they worked for me declares the Lord God. And as I was con as I was pondering this, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to what the Lord was, uh, was saying and is saying to us as a whole movement and to all of us as I believe the global body of Christ. And it was this, that concerning the harvest, and that's very important that we understand that context, concerning the harvest, I felt the Lord saying, the church, my church, my bride, my body's been working so hard in evangelism, but working in the wrong direction, wow. going after Tyre, quote unquote, uh, when in reality, God wants to plunder Egypt for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I think about Tyre, as, as most of you know, Tyre was a, um, a historical city of commerce, of tremendous wealth. Uh, behind very, very thick walls. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar was going after all of that wealth. And I felt the Lord showing me all of a sudden, boom, just in a moment. You know how you can have a thousand thoughts all at once in the Holy Spirit. I just suddenly realized that the Lord was saying, the church has been going after the lost and seeing the harvest, but looking in or, or looking for the harvest, but seeing the wrong thing, not um, how can I say it? Focusing on what is not considered the harvest by the Lord in the same way that we consider it as the harvest. And what I mean by that is I realized that we've been going after the adults and, and even the older adults, people over the age of 25 and especially 35, 45, 55, seeing them as kind of like the holy grail, the big fish to catch, you know, your classic here in North America, your classic, classic business person, executive, mm -hmm. or, you know, successful individual with their nice cars and homes and all the rest of it. And, and we, and we're like, wow, have you heard about so-and-so they got saved? Isn't it amazing? Amount of times I've heard people say, if only Elon Musk could become a Christian, what God right. could do with all of right. his money. As though God needs Elon Musk's money, you know, yeah. and um, and I say all of that to say the Lord showed me you've been looking in the wrong direction, everybody. Mm. I am the harvest that is the billion soul harvest. The vast majority of them are going to come in from the under 25s, just like they have throughout the last 2000 years of history. That's true. And, you know, I said in Bali, Michael, I did a quick poll of the 100 plus pastors and leaders that were there, how many of you gave your lives to Jesus before you turned 25? And almost 95% yeah. of the pastors, the pastors that are there are putting their hands up. In our own home church, we did the same. And mm -hmm. among 500 people, you know, almost everyone put their hands up that they got saved before they were 25. Mm -hmm. And it's such a stark visual. And I was able to say, why? Are we putting so much effort into the over 25 year olds when it concerning the harvest, 
when in reality, heaven has designed the human being, our lives, to be such that we're most open to the gospel under the age of 25. And we really could and should be celebrating a 13-year-old or an 8-year-old coming to Jesus at the same level that we're celebrating a 50-year-old successful business leader coming to Jesus. That is so awesome. You know, it reminds me of the, of the statement Jesus made to his disciples that, you know, you're going to have the privilege of reaping where you have not sown. In other mm. words, that there's this, this, this idea that we're going to go in one direction, but God shifts it on us. And I think this the, the truth that you're pointing to historically, the, the fact that almost every move of God that has happened has been at least 75, 80 percent young. Yeah, under 25 year olds that have been reached during that time. And they have become, in a sense, the army of that next generation's movement. And we certainly see that in the uh, in the Jesus movement that happened 50 years ago. And, wow. and that movie coming out about that, that we're going to be actually all looking at over this next season. Uh, it's called the Jesus Revolution. But it documents wow. that early period in Southern California, which was not the only epicenter. I mean, it was just one of the primary epicenters of yep. that youth movement, but it was phenomenal. So yep. yeah, this is this is crucial. Yeah, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, so so um, I want to I want to hear from you, Kate, about this because obviously this was a revelation that came to your husband. How how has that revelation impacted you? Yeah, well. When Duncan said he did the visual and asked people, when did you actually get saved? Yeah. The realization that, I mean, I was six years old and then I got baptized in the spirit at eight. And wow. then from there, my life went on a trajectory that took me um, the way it did. And yeah. I think we're realizing that so often we think of kids ministry Oh, you know, we want to win families, but actually, if we could really engage with children yeah. and youth and young adults, and obviously for children, it it involves their parents as well. And yeah. so there's a there's this dance and this dynamic of what can we do to bless families? Yeah. Because yeah. then with that, the children will come, or the children will come and they'll bring their parents. It's yeah. made us realize that you know our children's ministries are not a secondary thing yes. uh, our youth ministry even just even feeling an urgency to get back into the schools and 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 to look for open doors into public schools where we can we can go and address um kids in assemblies or you know yeah. maybe we can go and bless a school taking school supplies where we're beginning to build some trust because there's so much child protection laws that you've got yeah, to do yeah. it in a yeah. way that's appropriate and would win trust as a church in your city. Yeah. And well, I think yeah. it's made us realize that there's lots of steps that we can start taking practically and begin to focus and redirect resources and to bring a vision to our congregations about this yeah. as well. Yeah, that's so good, Kate. Can I make a comment into sure. that as well, uh, Michael? Sure. Um, you know, so many of us have suddenly woken up and found ourselves no longer the young people. It's like we always, I mean, Kate and I have always been the young guys. You know? yeah. And here we are, you know, John and Carol's successors. Woohoo! And we're 55 years old. You know what I'm oh, saying? God. I mean, that's, that's ancient, you know. Oh, and um, we're both grandparents. And so... You know, as, as we've been sharing this message apostolically, because it, it really is an apostolic compass to the yes. church message, yes. you know, it's it this this isn't a prophecy per se. This is heaven uh releasing heaven's blueprints that have always been there and a and a reorienting, a recompassing to heaven's priorities mm -hmm. and the way heaven thinks and the way heaven does things on the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and God's heart has always been for the youth. And, and, and in fact, um, you know, Jesus, there's that obscure little story about Jesus and, the, and Peter and the temple tax. And, you know, Jesus telling Peter to go and catch the first fish, open its mouth and take out the drachma, the two drachma and go pay your tax and mine. And as I was doing a, uh, a little study, I found out that that temple tax, you had to be 20 years old. Some people say 25, but 
20 years old is what I read, or older. Wow. Meaning that in among the 13 people of Jesus plus his 12 disciples, only Peter and Jesus owed the temple tax because wow. Jesus's disciples were almost entirely under the age of 20 years old. And that's mind-boggling for us. And I, and I want to say to each of you as Leaders Alliance, uh, yes. you know, how old are your disciples, each of yeah. you? You know, because if you're if you're following Jesus, if we're following Jesus, then mm -hmm. our disciples will be people that are under the age of 20 years old. Right. Think about that. Right. And so as we've been sharing this, we've ended up, I've ended up being able to, you, you know, you read a congregation. And as you're reading the congregation, as I've been speaking, I've realized that a lot of people feeling the same tension that Kate and I were feeling when the Lord first spoke to us. How are we possibly going to engage with young children, people. young youth, yes. let alone children? Yeah. How right. can we do that as 55-year-olds? Right. And all of a sudden, the Lord just showed me that picture of the supernatural catch of fish um, after the resurrection and, and, and how Jesus is, they find him on the shore. You know, yeah. when they get to the shore with the supernatural catch of fish, they find that he's already got the fire going and he's cooking breakfast. He's already yeah. got He's cooking breakfast. And um, and of course, the reason why he could say to them, you haven't if you haven't caught any fish, put your nets on the seeing as you haven't caught any other, put your nets on the other side. And they do that catch the supernatural fish. The Lord showed me it's because the light of the world himself was standing there and they used their little lights to catch the fish. Well, all yeah. the fish were at the bank looking at Jesus because he's the light of the world standing on the beach. <laughs> That's why they had no fish. That's and awesome. so what does he do with them? He says, come on, guys, all these young guys, come on over here. Come and sit down and have breakfast with me. And I felt the Lord showing me that this is the key to the billion soul harvest is when the church says to the world, just come and have breakfast with us. That's so good. Come and do That's life with us. Good. You know, and if you're... If you're like Kate and I, where you're a parent of older children, maybe you're like Kate and I, and you're already grandchildren, grandparents, and you're thinking, how can I reach this new generation? Right. And the answer is, you don't have to. All you have to do is have breakfast, quote unquote, mm -hmm. with right. the with your own people of your own influence, your own kids, your own grandkids, yeah. and let it be so good that they want to invite their friends to come because okay. Mimi cooks the best pancakes. Uh, Papa and Mimi have got the best swimming pool. You know, you name it and you can start to reach that generation. And That's especially so cool. if your grandparents and, and your kids are, are not walking with Jesus, but you get to take care of your grandkids, then, yes. you know, what happens in, in your house is... Is, is your own, business. Is your business. <laughs> yeah. And so just even being able to pray for your grand uh, grandchildren, get to know their friends yeah. and, you know, be involved in their lives and not, not yeah. the old adage that children should be seen and not heard. Exactly. Like we grow yeah. up post-war England was very much the spin-off of that. Sure. Well, you know, um, it's interesting because you use, you use the term apostolic compass or apostolic blueprint. Uh, I think it really is an apostolic strategy of the Holy Spirit right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a new strategy. In fact, you know, I think I probably told you the story when, when I was young, my parents were communists and I was involved in anti-establishment protests all the time. And it's I had and, and my mentor came to me and said, Michael, we're never going to change the world through protest. But he said, you get your you get your college degree, you get your uh, law degree, let's say, and become a senator or you get your Ph.D. and become a history professor. We can shape the minds of a generation. Wow. And in fact, wow. I did it. I mean, here we are 40, 50 years later and we can literally look and say they actually did take over the universities and have shaped the entire uh, conversation of our culture because, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, 90% of the professors were actually conservative. Now 90% are the opposite. And, and the mentality of the emerging generation is entirely opposite now. Yeah. And so yeah. If we understand that this strategy, the long view strategy mm -hmm. of changing yeah. the world by changing children, by changing teenagers, by changing college yeah. students, yeah. Really yeah. 
is the heavenly strategy. Yeah. 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 That's exactly it, Michael. And we're so far behind as the church. Yeah. We we have this mentality that Kate was alluding to that 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 says, oh, you know what? We're smart enough to know you better have a good kids ministry or a good youth ministry because that's the way to get to the parents. Exactly. As though, as though the parents is the end goal for us. Whereas heaven's end goal is all the kids. Yeah. Because yeah. the parents are already locked into whatever mindset they're in. But right. the children are the children that are open for that heavenly mindset and blueprint. Yeah. You know? Especially when we're talking about this whole, you know, spheres or seven mountains idea that we are partly responsible to bring transformation to culture. That doesn't happen in five years. That happens over the course of a generation. Yeah. And that's right. really the strategy that you're talking about. And mm -hmm. I believe that as we get this message out and we get it into the hands of, of church leaders, we get it into the hands of parents, that we can actually truly make a shift that is both immediate, but also long range. Come on. Yes. Come on. Yeah. So well yeah. said. Very good. So well said. And if, you know, in our kids ministry, our kids director, Susan, is absolutely phenomenal okay. uh, as, a, as a kids director. And she is teaching the kids how to uh, flow in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, including their heavenly prayer language, yeah, and yeah. how to minister in the mir miraculous power of the Holy Spirit so they can do miracles and signs and wonders and so on and so forth. And our kids are having the most amazing encounters. But it's unto the purpose of the preparation for them to be those kinds of supernatural, to be the very people you're talking about that are supernatural, going to become lawyers, going to become doctors, going to become politicians or whatever else it is, but doing it from with, with an internal passion mm -hmm. for Jesus yeah. and the flow of the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit so they can be the best lawyers that they could be, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and um, just another thing we found out recently is um, that once a month they have a missions, overseas missions focus where they pray for missionaries that we know they take uh, receive uh, offerings from for missions and she said even this year alone the kids have brought fourteen hundred dollars to wow. actually distribute to missions so the fact that they're learning that throughout their life they're going to be sewing into world missions wow. I mean, for the gospel is amazing and you know that is 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 training them in the way that they yeah. should go in the kingdom that's going to make a profound in impact as you say in in the next 20 30 years right and when i've when i've taught on this that, that the harvest is predominantly young because that's in my book of revival culture um i've hit some resistance with some of the older saints and especially some of the you know people my age that are starting to retire and moving towards like, well, how do I fit in? Do I have any value? You know, most young people don't even want to hang out with me. You know, there's all these kinds of arguments that go on in, in their brains about they're now irrelevant because of this uh, reality of, of young people being the primary focus of the harvest. And um, yep. and the way I've combated that, and I'd love you to comment on this, is, is just, uh, you know, there was a, a great prophet named Elijah who, had a great victory on Mount Carmel, but then he got basically threatened. His life was threatened and he was a little bit, you know, sort of passive aggressive, let's say uh, bipolar in his response <laughs> to the Holy Spirit. He ran away, found himself in a cave depressed. Yeah. Uh, he was, you know, God, what are you doing? And the Lord challenges him at that moment and says, no, your next step is to mentor three younger leaders. It's like, yeah. And, and actually, it's interesting when you look at that, because he only mentored one of them. They mentored the next one, and then the next one got mentored by his servant. And so really, right. the commission that was given to, to uh, Elijah at that moment to put his mantle on Elisha, a young leader, yeah. was basically a, a way of regenerating his calling in the light of spiritual grandparenting. I love and, that on that like what is the role therefore of the of the 45 year old middle ager or the senior then if our focus is going to be towards a young harvest how does that work oh i just think that that is that's an amazing analogy the elisha elijah mm -hmm. and 
you know, Kate and I, I guess we are, and we have an advantage now that we're grandparents. Yes. Because we just understand that our role is to cheer our grandchildren, is to love them, is to, you know, provide that um, that wonderful, safe, amazing, unconditional love that grandparents give because we don't have any responsibilities of raising them. We just yeah. have the privilege of them of loving them, right? Yeah. And and if we take that and 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 by the way, you know, woe betide us to step in and start parenting our grandchildren, get us into all sorts of trouble with with our own kids, you know, who are their parents now. Yes. Well, take that analogy and apply that to everything that you know we're saying here is is that god is not asking you to mentor the kids he's not asking you to mentor the youth he's asking you to provide that love that support that joy and the freedom of expression to the generation that are currently the parent generation right now yeah. that are among us and it is not the Gen X's and the baby boomers. It's the, and, and it's not even the late, the, the early millennials. It's late, late millennials and Gen Z's. And if we can mobilize them and put them in position and give them authority and salary and whatever else and get yeah. behind them and cheer them on, we'll have a revolution in our churches. Yeah. Wow. And I, I think another dynamic is that as grandparents, we have the resources to provide Ooh, point. the place, um, the meeting place, the the opportunity to make things happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got finances. We've got homes where young people can gather. We can provide food. We can provide love and encouragement. We can be like adopted parents to young yeah. people. We, yeah. we can actually, um, as Duncan said, cheer people on, resource maybe support a youth worker um, in the community for a 12-month period and mm. and actually celebrate that we're doing that and we're honoring their voice. And I think that's the thing. It's like a younger generation, uh, a closer to the the culture and the differences. You know, many of us, um, we've, we've grown up in a paper world, a book world. Everything's now is online. <laughs> but yet... I think the young people still need to see how and hear about our stories of how we've won victories, how we've overcome in our lives, how mm -hmm. we've raised our children, yeah. how, how we've grown our wealth, and how so, we've, yeah. we've done it. And so we become a source of wisdom yeah. and providing a place of, of safety and security as well as resource. Whilst promoting them and cheering them mm -hmm. on. That's so, so good. And, and so, you know, obviously, we talked about the billion soul harvest at the beginning here, and that prophecy even goes back a hundred years to the early uh, Azusa Street time. Where oh, wow! Spoke to to the, the leader of that and said, in about a hundred years, there's going to be a great outpouring. Uh, we're kind of in that season now, where we're on the verge of that. You know, we're seeing little signs. I know you guys just got back from Eastern Europe, seeing signs of revival. I just got back from uh, Brazil. God's doing amazing things there. There's Come stuff on, going on around the world right now. And as we think about something, let's say, resembling the Jesus movement, mm -hmm. where almost sovereignly, without a whole lot of preparation, God moved in the in the emerging generation. Okay. And it was like this sovereign thing where people like, you know, they said back in those days, you just had to sneeze and people would come to Christ. You know, it was that it, there was like people are on the edge of their seats waiting to come to the Lord. I yeah. believe we're on the verge of something like that again in this coming yeah. season. Oh, Lord, let that come to pass. How do we press into that? How do we position ourselves for that kind of thing? Because we know there's a sovereign dimension, but we also know there's a human uh, collaboration, let's say, in in the advent of, of revival. And, and especially if revival is going to be young, how do you see the two working together? What do you think we can do in the practical? I think there's going to be an increase of partnerships because mm -hmm. young people are going to be one in ways that attract young people. Yes. So there might be big events, stadium events, beach revivals. But I think the challenge is not to get jealous about 
those young kids, but actually find them a home, a, a yes. church home, a church family where they're going to be discipled. Because often in those sovereign moves, people get saved, but really lasting fruit is about how somebody is discipled yeah. and yeah. how they go on to become fruitful themselves. Yes. And I, I think our biggest challenge is, are we prepared that things could break out in our nearby university or school? And are we willing to step forward and say, can we help or how can we help? And so can we they, share this harvest? And we share the harvest churches, so that, you know. that the nets don't break in that sense. Yeah. And, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how that is worked out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with everything Kate just said. I would, I just simply would add that, um, there's something about getting into that secret place with the Lord. Yes. Where in his presence, mm -hmm. he begins to open our eyes to what he's doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not only that, he softens our heart and deals with our desire that he'll do it with me and no one else. Because yeah. I want, I need you to do it through me, please, Lord. Yeah. No. We never say that to the Lord because right. we know that that wouldn't be good. Right. But that's what he's dealing with. Yeah. There's something in all of us that says, if there's going to be a move of God, I'm going to support it if I'm the epicenter. Yes. If you're the epicenter, well, good for you. Right. And I'll cheer you on from a distance, but I don't think I'll be involved. Thank you very much. Yes, It's just, it's just the way we are. And, and it's there's something about being in God's presence that causes you, as you gaze into his glory, that causes your heart to come unglued from your own ego and wow. desire for significance. Wow. And you, you become open so that when you see him moving with somebody else, you genuinely, genuinely want to be involved and support them and cheer them on and get behind them. Right. No, I mean, I think one of the biggest resistances to revival throughout the ages, we're talking first, second, third grade awakenings, we're talking about the Azusa Street, has been the jealousy factor in other saints that God didn't move wow. among them. Wow. And, yeah. and that's just a tragic thing because Jesus' final you know, prayer in John 17, that they may be one. As yeah. you father and I are one, that this, yeah. I mean, talk about that, that measure of oneness. Yes. You know, Christ and how easy it is for us to become filled with comparison and competition and in yeah. a sense of uh, resentment if if we don't get that blessing to ourselves when yeah. we see it falling on somebody else. That's so true. Mm. And yeah. so, yeah, that's that's intense. Well, one other thing I want to explore a little bit as we talk about the, the sort of the focus towards emerging generations. So we're talking about, you know, basically Gen Z now and below, you know, it's yeah. like, we're talking about those that alpha. are younger than that. I'm sorry. Alpha, alpha generation is what I picked up. Like, yes, our, 28, our 28 year old daughter, who are our lead pastors, and she has four children, her and her husband, yes. Aaron. They have four kids, our grandkids. They call them the alpha generation. No, I think that's a great term. And so if we're looking, though, let's say Gen Z is probably the more identifiable now because below Gen Z, we're still dealing with children and they haven't quite formed yeah. yet fully. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but now Gen Z has become identifiable as its own, in a sense, subculture. And, you know, uh, Barna's done a lot of work doing a bunch of interviews uh, throughout like, a, a, you know, a thousand Gen Z people to understand what they value and where their hearts are at. And this goes back to what Kate was saying a few minutes ago about the issue of, um, you know, that, that the way that we might be used to God moving in our generation as boomers and Gen Xers might yeah. not be the way that he moves in terms of this emerging culture because the culture is slightly different. It, yeah. you know, we, we might make the mistake of thinking, oh, they're just like us, therefore God's going to move in exactly the same way he did among us. What are some of the distinctives of the emerging generation that we can begin to identify? Like one thing I heard recently was that only about 2% have a biblical worldview. Correct. About 65%, if they were challenged to go to another nation and serve the poor, they would do it. Okay, that's an interesting marker there. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they're not even Christians, they would still want a mission to be on. Okay. Yeah. 
that tells us something about this generation that we could somehow synthesize with our efforts to touch that generation. What are some yeah. of the other things you guys are seeing that might be helpful along those lines? Yeah. Well, I think they're always looking for authenticity. Yeah. They yes. are done with hype. They they like kind of small, intimate friends groups, but they want authentic and real. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that's always a challenge as leaders that we need to get on their level. Yeah. Yes. We we don't need to present ourselves as, you know, super apostle this with all this qualification. No. They they want to know that are you interested in me and can you understand me? Yeah, that's so good. I think that is the foundation of every generation, but particularly at this time. Yeah, I agree with that. And they just can't stand skinny jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, again, the fatter I get, the skinnier my jeans get, which is weird. <laughs> that's just unfortunate. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, I... But, but before we go on with that, just if yeah. I could just say, to me, that has, that has been a hilarious reminder. On a daily basis, I walk into my wardrobe to put my jeans on, <laughs> and I look at, I'm like, I got to clear out my wardrobe here, because <laughs> I've just got so many pairs of skinny jeans. And it took me forever to get into skinny jeans. People were into them forever. And I finally got into them you know, about halfway through the craze. And now I'm really attached to my skinny jeans. And um, I got to get rid of them. But, but what it's doing on a daily basis is actually challenging my thinking, constantly reminding me the Gen Z generation do not have the same... Uh, uh passions and um uh opinions right. that the millennials have or that right. the gen x have and right. i need to validate their right for that yes and me change my and me change right them rather than grumbling that they don't agree with me about things and that's true i mean you know clothing is a sign of cultural identification also one of the biggest ones is music yeah, you know, again, um, you know, I was a rock and roller. I, I love classic rock. Um, and you know, when, when the Jesus people got saved, they built their churches around a rock band, basically. Right. That's right. But the next generation, which was basically the millennials, they were more into electronica. Okay, well, that that why? Why were they into electronica? What was it distinctive about the musical form within that world? Or like now, the popular music, I believe, is is um, is hip hop and rap and, and spoken word. And most yeah. of us who are older, we say, well, I can't relate to that. What is that about? And so I, t I try to spend time listening to Lecrae or some of these other people that are that are using spoken word as a musical style. Wow, that's awesome, Michael. Parts of their people, and they're wow. literally selling the albums right now. You know, I mean, obviously, you yeah. still have, you know, Taylor, and you have some of the other, you know, uh, you know, current musicians that are more rock style. But what is happening? With, like, in other words, what are the kingdom longings of this? What is the kingdom longing that may even be manifesting itself in forms of sin or addiction or misbehavior of some kind, but it's being driven by a longing in their heart for something that, that transcends their current experience, and they're going about addressing that longing in a wrong way? Yes. Yeah. So the questions we have to be asking. So good. And social media, so for, for one, you know, TikTok and YouTube and they can spend hours looking at stuff that you think that is such a waste of time. And we can have a mindset that says that is a waste of time. And right. we can become judgmental in even saying that. But I think it's trying to understand. So so tell me, why do you like watching this? Why do you like following right. this person? And, you know, what is it that appeals to you is probably asking a few more questions because yeah. otherwise you wouldn't I, understand. Kate and I have pivoted and started a YouTube channel. And yes. we're doing it to reach the Gen Z generation. And we just That's found right. out that uh, this morning on uh, statistics of our viewership that uh, we're now up to... Uh, I think it's around 18 to 24% uh, wow. is 
is the Gen Z generation now on our viewership what, okay. from zero at the beginning. And so we realized that even just changing to a media that is appealing to them uh, is, is a huge, a huge way of reaching them. Yeah, no, and th those are the kinds of, I think that we need to do some study. We need to do some listening to try right. to begin to sensitize ourselves to that generation that we're hoping to reach, that we believe yeah. are going to be the majority of the coming harvest. How do we sensitize ourselves to the things that are real for them? And, yeah. and but as we need to wrap up in a second here. So I want to get from you also, because we're approaching the end of the year, we're approaching 2023. It's hard to believe that I've lived this long. Um, <laughs> But I know you have your hand on the pulse of a number of prophetic people. You're in relationship with them. We have prophetic leaders within Catch the Fire as well. What are you hearing and what are you personally sensing about this next year and the, the, the two or three years following? How can we aim ourselves? Where's the compass at at this time? Can you guys give us your best sense of where we need to be going in this coming yeah. season? Well, I think the whole analogy of the river of God is taking mm -hmm. us to the, to the Dead Sea. Um, the mm -hmm. current is getting faster. I think we have got an opportunity to dive into the Holy Spirit on an increased level of yeah. power mm -hmm. and miracles. And I think as we see culture getting more confused, things getting darker um, around us, the threat of this, that and the other, the only place that we're going to stand is in the power of the Holy Spirit. So yeah. that's always a given that we're going to continue uh, um, believing God for miracles, an increased level of the miraculous, increased levels of supernatural things happening around us. Um, always challenged about that, as well as really um, perhaps a call into um, a level of intimacy through prayer. Uh -huh. And just really, really taking our time to believe and ask God for what we want to see um, and just getting hungry for a move of God again. Where personally and corporately. Personally and yeah. corporately. Yeah. And really that word for the harvest, that we would be ready. We would take every opportunity and make our lives count, really. Have you got anything to add? Yeah, I was just trying to think, Kate, you'll remember better than I will, but um, Ken Gott shared about the harvest. He said, mm -hmm. white, the harvest, what are your yeah. white fields or something like yeah, that? Yeah, just that? to know our place in, in the white fields of yeah. harvest. Yeah. Where is your place in the white fields wow. at this point? Yeah. Is it to increase your prayer? Is it to start um, developing something that's going to, um, bless your city? Is it to step into a business focus? You know, there are downloads from heaven, but really to see that that is your place in the white fields of harvest. Ooh, because wow. we can think it's all about frontline evangelism. Right. And there's so much more to it because right. it's, it's how are we going to love our cities? How are we going to reach people that we would never even have an opportunity to reach? And God's got a place of assignment for each of us. And yep. um, Ken got really released that recently, and it's resonated with us about that. Yeah, I think I would just simply add, Michael, to everything Kate's saying, very much resonate with everything Kate said. All I want to say is that get ready, everybody, for a sovereign, sovereign yeah. harvest of fish. Oh, there nice. is, you know, I was in, Kate and I were in Newfoundland. We didn't even realize it. New found land. We're about to enter into a new found land. Yes. And, and, and we went to this, we, we weren't supposed to go to this restaurant, this fish restaurant, but, but we ended up there and we're on this pier and we're looking out over this gorgeous bay. And suddenly we became aware of all these dark areas on the water. And I went, got up to have a closer look and saw that those areas was actually mackerel and they were young mackerel and they started to literally boil 
into frenzies mm -hmm. and they were coming right up to the pier. So they literally were trying to jump up on our plates and add to our plate of fish and chips. Mm -hmm. It was wow. just unbelievable. And the Lord just began to speak to Kate and I. This is a prophetic sign. And it just happened that I'm looking at all of this and I look over this way and there's this guy standing there looking out as well. He looks at me and we realize, Jerry? And Jerry looks at me, Duncan. And Jerry Steingard is from Stratford, Ontario and was John and Carol's first successor of their first church they planted wow. so that they could go to Toronto and start the Toronto church. And here's Jerry Steingard, first successor of John and Carol's church. And Duncan and Kate Smith, so Jerry and Pam, Duncan and Kate Smith, first successors of John and Carol's global movement, standing on a pier in new found land wow. on the edge of Twilling Gate, which is like Twilight Gate, and a massive supernatural catch of fish. And then just that was just before we go to Bali. I speak on all of that, show the photographs of all of that. We come back and in the news, there in the BBC news, there's a beach in Mexico, I think on the Baja Peninsula, where this guy caught this, this fisherman caught a catch of fish that was supernaturally large Whoa. and the people just flocked to the beach to see it. Mm. And there was just thousands of fish that he caught in his net. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, everybody. And he's yeah. saying, it's harvest time and I'm going to bring the fish to you. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Amen. Well, could you guys pray that over us? All of us that are listening right now, all of us that will be looking at this uh, video in the future. Could you... Pray for us that God would actually awaken us to mm. this season of harvest that we're about to enter into. Come on. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Holy Spirit, thank you that you have been working and you've been preparing us for this time, for this place, for this great harvest. And we thank you, for, Father, for the reminder of the apostolic compass and the strategy of reaching the younger fish, the younger generations. And we ask Holy Spirit that you give us wisdom, you give us open hearts to learn and to receive, but also to be ready, to yeah. be ready for this supernatural yes, catch, that you would give us eyes to see and hands that are willing to work in our white fields of harvest, Lord, yes, wherever Lord. you're calling us to be, Lord. And we ask that there would be an impartation of faith Abba. and just, um, the reality that we are laborers in your white fields, Father, that we're yeah. willing to work with you and to receive all your precious ones, your little ones, yes. your younger ones. Yes. And yes. Father, families that you've called us. Yes, Lord. Whoa. Thank you. Do it, Lord. Give us wisdom and knowledge. Yes, yes Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, I add to Kate's prayer, Father, that you would just give us diligence and tenacity mm -hmm. as your leaders yes, to yes. work hard in your harvest fields lord oh, that we yes. would not be lazy that we would not be complacent but that god you would just supercharge us with yes. energy with love with passion with yes. hunger with thirsting yes. and that we would we would not be leaders that would just sit back and mm -hmm. go oh look at the fields but we would be among the fields lord working in the harvest fields with you pleasing to the father and uh, and just that it would be our joy to make you famous jesus in the nations and to see you receive the the nations as the reward of your suffering lord in whatever capacity each of us have to do in that give us grace great grace to do it to the best of our ability and all for you jesus in your name we pray amen amen hallelujah you know, as you're praying, I just re received that word from the Lord of, um, says, you know, plow up the fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon us. And I just, I feel like uh, the plowing of prayer is yeah. the precursor to the harvest that God wants to bring. 
So, so thank you so much, Duncan and Kate Smith, for being uh, with us. Thank pleasure. you so much for your impartation, this fresh vision that we're in to begin to really practically prepare and supernaturally prepare for what God's about to do on the earth. We thank you so much, and we look forward to what God's going to do in our friendship and our partnership in the kingdom and through you guys' ministry around the world. So God bless all of you, and thanks for coming. We're, we're looking forward to seeing you again. God bless. Mm -hmm.